What's the crack? I'm Brona. And I'm Ava. We enjoy listening to people tell their stories. And hearing their different perspectives. Which is why we started this podcast. In today's episode, we spoke with Dr. Mo Sotana, who is a chartered psychologist and psychotherapist. Our conversation surrounded the issues and challenges that come with glamorizing mental health issues and also the more unheard of mental health issues and why we don't hear about them. Hiya. Hi, how are you? Hi, thank you for joining us today. No problem, thank you. Do you want to give us a little introduction to yourself? So I work as a chartered psychologist and psychotherapist, meaning that I do both. So I could assess, diagnose, and I could also treat. My area of expertise are usually general mood disorders, OCD and relationship difficulties and identities. But also I go into very specific areas such as domestic violence and gender-based violence, sexual violence, also into trauma. I used to work with an organization that focuses on victims of torture and trauma who are coming in as asylums. So trauma would be one of my big specialties. Perinatal mental health is another of my big specialties. And apart from that, I work with the EAPs, which means employee assistance program. So these would be employees in different organizations. They do not have mental health diagnosis as such, but they might be showing symptoms that require support. I also respond to trauma, such as critical incident stress management and also group process. So I do a lot of group work. Um, So I work with individual, mother and baby and group, but I do not work particularly with couples, but I work separately with couples and I leave it to them to sort it out. Brilliant. Yeah. And how did you actually get into psychology? Because we know that you used to be a singer and an actress back in India and then you were a teacher. So at what point did you kind of decide that you wanted to do psychology? In Ireland, they have to depending on your regulating body and we do not have a regulating body uh, government wise but there are a number of hours that you're meant to do your personal therapy so from my own personal therapy I have recollected memories that says as far as when I was three or four I remember having Freud books in the house that I grew up in so I'm not sure when did I get attracted to it but I do remember uh, seeing it as far back as that the academia bit and logical construction was always in the house. But I also was interested in writing my own material, like my mom used to write on the side. She used to be a writer. And so I started writing my own material and that's how I got into music. But in doing so, you can see that my interest in the human mind was always there because essentially what I was doing by writing songs is focusing on small moments or expressions or ways to respond to certain things where I would put words to it to make it colorful or express emotions that I couldn't express. After I came to Ireland, I wasn't writing in Bengali. Well, I was writing in Bengali, but nobody was listening to it in Ireland. And so it happened that I had to look for other profession. And my first port of call was using what I have, which is doing Ruby Tuesday nights and other things like saying sing a songwriter nights and you go and present yourself. From there, I met people who were telling me, why don't you do TEFL teaching? Because you do have that qualification. So I got into the teaching. And as I was doing that, I was looking for courses to further develop. And I came across the IACP course in a fair growing up that interest in psychology kind of got rekindled at that point and I got into therapy first so that's how the profession started so um I have been in therapy and stuff myself but I feel like even other people who maybe have been in therapy wouldn't know the distinction so like what is the kind of difference between a psychotherapist and a psychologist 
I must warn you that this might generate conversation because not many people are willing to accept the differences and not many people are willing to acknowledge the differences. But overall, with the Minister of Health, we now have agreed that the two professions are different. And so they do overlap, their theories overlap, their work overlap, but in the eyes of law, they are going to be different. I was looking up the APA, which is the American Psychological Association, and I'm a member of them. Their dictionary says psychology is a study of the human mind and behavior. And that can go into area within philosophy, and it can go into other different several major branch of research, such as experimental, biological, cognitive, lifespan, developmental, personality, and social, and all sorts of areas. But psychotherapy is a psychological service provided by a trained professional, primarily who uses the form of communication and interaction. And now this is the problematic bit because it's APA, it says that you use that interaction to assess, diagnose and treat dysfunctional emotional reaction. That is not quite the same in Ireland. Psychotherapists are not meant to assess, diagnose and treat dysfunctional. Well, they are meant to treat, but that treatment is not going to be like a psychiatrist. That treatment is going to be via talk therapy. But we live in a world where we love paperwork and we love to quantify things. So in plain English, you will have forms to be filled up in a psychotherapy setting where you're trying to understand the outcome, whether you liked a therapy or not, whether your behavior or symptoms that you presented is improved or lowered. But that is not to say that you're being diagnosed with depression or anxiety. That is not what a psychotherapist would do, unlike the APA model. But now in terms of UK and Ireland both, psychotherapy is not a regulated profession and it is not a health and social care professional under the act of 2005 in Ireland, whereas psychology is. Within Ireland, you go to a psychotherapist to talk and you go to a psychologist if you want to see diagnosis. And the assessment and the labeling of you, let's say, in plain English, would be done scientifically, not by just observation. When I say scientifically, I mean that peer review journal have agreed on a term or the DSM has agreed on a cluster of symptoms. So when somebody says you have something, they're drawing it from those evidences. They're not saying, I get a feeling you have something because you hate your mother. So th- that, that's not what psychology is. Would you be able to tell us who influences your own work as a psychologist and a psychotherapist? My only process of diagnosis is to measure quickly what am I dealing with? How much my risk is? Am I dealing with somebody who's actively suicidal and they are about to harm themselves or others or somebody who can manage? I'm also looking out for how much it is impacting their regular life and their ability to hold a job or go to the Tesco and buy things or get up in the morning and change your clothes. So when I look at these major areas that will inform my work, I'm drawing from the DSM structure. But I'm also looking at my own psychotherapy background, which is Freud, Melanie Klein, Jacques Lacan, and also humanistic ideas. I'm also looking at cognitive behavioral therapists. And so I combine these ideas together and I try not to be influenced by one or the other because there's a danger. It does happen that when you get attached to a particular theorist, your work may be influenced by them only. And then you're not actually a scientific researcher because you're meant to look at You're meant to have a working hypothesis and then also have a null hypothesis that that hypothesis is wrong. And so based on that, when you're going, if you find things that fits your hypothesis, you take it. And if you don't find things that does not fit your hypothesis, it goes towards the null hypothesis. The problem is if you go with one theorist and if you see things that goes towards null hypothesis, you discourage it and you say, no, that didn't exist. 
only this exists. So I try to be influenced by different therapists. Brilliant. And in regards to your work, then, like, obviously, you're dealing with a lot of people who do have mental health issues and everything, you know, as opposed to the kind of stereotypes and stuff like that of mental health that people would believe if they're not dealing with people who have these issues. So how, how would you think as given your profession, the media kind of represent mental health or portray it? We live in a world where, let's say, mental health used to be the stigma like no other. So when I'm talking about what I'm talking about now, I'm only mentioning the English speaking world. And in that English speaking world, we have grown a huge amount of understanding and appreciation for those who suffer with mental illness, so much so that we actually have normalized it. And in my theory, it is from stigmatization to normalization, and then you go to glamorization. And that's where the problem is. And that's where I think we have gone. We're, and and this, these are not boxes. These are spectrums and you go slide back and forth. And for each disorder and for each terminologies, I think we slide back and forth. And interestingly, social, economic and political discourses also influence these. And sometimes something happens in the media and we are all hashtagging and then it goes high towards the glamorization and then hashtag dies away and it goes back towards oh normalization or even stigmatization. So I think that's where we are at, like sliding back and forth with whatever is happening in the world. And how do you think it would be represented then in media like films and books and things like that? Well, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, his movies come to mind because he often uses mental illness and then slides it across the border with supernatural. And you're kind of going, I'm not sure. Are you actually trying to say this is cool? That kind of portrayal, I'd say, is kind of what I would enjoy as an audience because I'm left with a question. I'm not told, well, if you have DID, you're very cool to date. Or if you have OCD, you're very cool to date. Or if you have depression, you're very deep thinker. And you're not like your other friends who are worried about going to nightclubs. You might be talking about existential questions. I have a problem with that because it is not about deep thinking. It is not about trying to portray yourself as I know better. I am more existential thinker or I do mindfulness a bit more better than you. Because it is actually demeaning to those who actually suffer and struggle to get out of bed in the morning. Also, when I'm talking about movies, I'm thinking of the dark shades of, what is that called? The, 50, 50 Shades of Grey. That's it, the 50 Shades, <laughs> yes, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I remember women went nuts. They're like, I want to find that man. I'm not against BDSM or any kind of sexual expression, but suddenly jumping on this bandwagon to look cool and to seem like I am sexually so proactive that I'm going to try out everything, which is great, be proactive. But I don't think people were doing it for the right reason, because when you look at the DSM and you look at the uh, sexual disorders, there are names that are very similar to what this character is doing. And you don't know whether are you talking about something that is purely an abuse or an undiagnosed disorder or are you talking about this as mutual? But it's a film. But when people see psychiatric knowledge in films and books like this, absolutely available to everybody, you just don't know what that information will do in the wrong hands and the wrong ears. You mentioned the type of stereotypes and kind of labels that come with these mental health issues through this representation that isn't entirely accurate. So how do you think that this affects people who are actually dealing with it and even affects the people around them? Because somebody might be suffering from depression or anxiety or any of these other mental health issues and then um, people don't think that they are because they don't fit into that stereotype 
usually it is the mood disorders that people often say that I am that. It's no longer that we are sad. It's that I am depressed. I mean, since when depressed has become a state of mind that you can just throw back and forth? Um, I don't know. To say I'm anxious now, people actually say I'm having an anxiety attack. And when people say I am anxious, I think we tend to say, have you gone to the GP? Because we've become over careful to self-diagnose ourselves and our friends. And this is extremely disrespectful to people because I know of people who have actual panic attacks. And when you stand in front of them and you say, well, you know, my exam's coming up and I'm just anxious or my boss is going to talk to me tomorrow and I'm anxious and I'm having a panic attack or, oh my God, I'm, I have to go meet that guy again. I'm having a panic attack. And you actually don't have an anxiety disorder and you don't have a panic disorder. And you say that in front of somebody, you just minimize their pain. I don't think they're doing it too demean, but it is happening. And it is just so part of our normal lexicology that it is just happening us without us even thinking. That's just one example. Think about OCD. We're not just clean person anymore. If I say to my friend, I'm going to spend the weekend cleaning the house, they're probably going to say you're so OCD. Now, if I didn't have the psychological knowledge and working with people who actually have OCD, I would call myself and say, I, am, I think I'm a bit OCD. We have begun to use psychiatric knowledge as common terms. And I think that's problematic because when you do that, you're demeaning someone else's pain. I actually um, had an eating disorder when I was younger. It wasn't really necessarily to do with the kind of societal picture and and I just dealt with a lot of trauma in my own life it was almost like a self-harm thing like a way to control deal with life in that kind of way I started out with an eating disorder when I was younger and then it like kind of trailed out into like depression and anxiety because you know those emotions accompany those sort of disorders and then it was like oh sure your anxiety you're just nervous or like do you know that kind of way and I totally get what you mean about people saying like I'm anxious I'm depressed and I suppose I'm just kind of wondering, do you think there needs to be more of a distinction between the emotion and the actual like disorder? Yes, absolutely. And I'm so sorry to hear that you had to go through that. And I'm glad to see that you're actually contributing towards conversation like this. And I think we don't visualize these things because language is like the name of the disorders are easily available in public domain that when we talk about mental health outside the professional discourse, we talk about the whole thing. And then we forget that, <laughs> that the extreme or moderate or severes are on the right. And we also have non-disorders on the left. And by saying that, oh, well, I have depressed, you just don't know what is the degree of it. And if it is a severe depression, depressive disorders somebody has, they require severe attention. So I don't think we have understanding of it. And also the World Health Organization defines mental health as a state of well-being in which every individual realizes his or her own potential, can cope with normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to her and his community. If you're not being able to cope with normal stresses of life, do you have a mental health issue? You might. Yeah doesn't say what degree. And so you might fall into the category of, well, I can't go to school, but I can still get out of my bed. You might not still have a diagnosis, but you might be suffering. Or you might have a diagnosis, but you're not suffering. So it's a very complex field. And also the diagnoses are going to be different. There's not one type of depression. There's not one type of anxiety. So we just don't know where we are at when we're talking about mental health. We just don't know what kind of impact we're talking about. How severe are the symptoms and how are they impacting? We just don't know. But we just 
count that all in. And there's this new thing called positive psychology. Everybody loves positive psychology. And we don't actually talk about where is this positivity coming from. Positivity is actually coming from this Greek word, eudaimonia. It's translated into happy, the sense of blessed with a good demon. So you have a good demon who's blessing you with good fortune. But if you have a demon, you have a problem, but you might have a good demon. And that's also a problem. Too much happiness is a problem. Nobody talks about it. So, you know, we just don't put it in the right way when we are speaking. And I'm not saying we have to measure our words, but if you're talking about glamorization and if you're talking about throwing in these psychiatric terms, left, right, and center, I think we need to have an awareness in terms of what would it do? And we have to be responsible thinking who's listening to it? What would they do with this information? And what are they going to think? Have I just exposed somebody to a piece of knowledge that they don't know left, right, or center, and they're going to just take the word itself and use it? I mean, I cannot tell you within the last two years, how many people have come to me and said, I might have autism. I might have OCD. I might have eating disorder Mm. when they actually don't. And these are adults who have come across. And I'm not saying you shouldn't query. You should definitely query and that the right thing by coming in. But the number, statistically speaking, you'd kind of wonder what is going on? Why are people thinking I have this or that? Where are they getting the words? You Google and you get the words. You just get the symptom and you self-diagnose yourself and you come here and say, I have that. Check me. And so essentially what I tell them is let's talk and figure out whether you actually have those symptoms and then we'll go through the checklist. Usually the conversation will show you that, you know, you don't fit into any of this. So over the last few years, a lot of like mental health issues have been highlighted, but mostly it's been depression, and anxiety as well. What do you think are some of the most stigmatized and unheard of mental health issues? And why do you think that is? Why do you think there's not that much coverage of it or that much discussion about it? If you look at the clusters of depressive disorders, you can see already that we are only talking about depression. Also, you will see in the anxiety disorder cluster, we have separation anxiety disorder, (laughs) selective mutism. We have specific phobias, phobias like uh, animal or blood injection injury or, you know, fear of blood or anything else. Uh, We have social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, panic attack, and also substance and medication induced anxiety disorder. So we, again, we're only talking about anxiety and we're not talking about which one Sometimes when we are talking about phobia, we do it jokingly. We forget that these are actually conditions that people might have and make their life miserable. In the OCD, it's encouraged by employers because you like your employee to be neat and to organized, to be structured, to be meticulous, to be looking at things before they send off a document. And that's a good quality, but it has now turned into something where people with actual obsessive compulsive disorders are being minimized by the very use of this glamorized term. And so in that cluster as well, you have body dysmorphic disorder, you have hoarding disorder. Now there's TV shows on hoarding. And when we talk about hoarding, we think about those TV shows. They're done in a way to capture the audience. They do not actually show the pain of the family members and of the person themselves, the disruption it has caused to relations. It has become something you want to enjoy Friday night with. It is actually real life and the pain of it is much beyond those half an hour or one hour the episode is. So again, we're minimizing and glamorizing on the other hand, trichotillomania, which is hair pulling. That's a type of OCD. When you say, I clean my car and I'm OCD, what about the person who actually pulls their hair out and eats it? 
you saying you have the same thing that they have. We don't talk about these ones that I'm talking about. Also, trauma-related and stress-related disorders. We say we're traumatized by watching this film. Really? <laughs> Do you really know what trauma is? I'm glad people are talking about the word trauma and that you know people are becoming open about the impact of it. But are we taking it too far? Because what we're not talking about is that not just post-traumatic stress disorder in movies we see soldiers have returned or, you know, ex-military officer abusing at home. It's not just that. You have many other things like adjustment disorder. You have, you know, reactive attachment disorder. You have disinhibited social engagement disorder. These are serious disorders, but we're not talking about them because that's not fun enough and directors aren't making movies enough on them. When they do, it will become something we talk about. There are situational reasons why some terms are being promoted and some terms we don't talk about. And it is, again, the listener and what they actually get from it and what use do these terms have in their real life, whether it's personal or work. And based on that, collectively, I think the words become something else. What would you think of how like schizophrenia and like kind of personality disorders are represented because you know when you're watching a film or something they're very different to anxiety or depression you know like people are made out to be a bit crazy if they're like that like whenever I'm watching a film and there's someone with schizophrenia or a personality disorder they're just always the kind of villain or yeah it's, it's more captivating and more like a thriller but I don't think it really reflects what the people are actually going through no, not at all. Absolutely. That's not real life. And when you are actually living with somebody who had schizophrenia, you know how difficult it is to actually continue living there. And it's not because they are unmanaged symptoms, but rather the symptoms have impact on themselves and people around them. And sometimes it's manageable with medication. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it requires hospitalization, but also sometimes it is well manageable and they are not the villains and they're not the weirdos that you see in movies. These are normal people and whatever normal is, these are just exactly the same chromosomes that you have and I have, but rather they might have something else going on that led them to a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Uh, definitely like that's why it is so important to represent it and I suppose that's why it's kind of come to a point where we are glamorizing it and you've talked about it quite a few times but would you be able to explain the actual term of what it means to glamorize mental health and what are the dangers of doing so? Well glamorization would generally mean that you are promoting something that you are saying that this is great to have or cool to have like a Mercedes car or a Louis Vuitton bag that makes you something important that people would look up to or people would look at and pay attention to. It's almost like attention seeking, but also on the other hand, normalizing something way too much that the meaning is lost. We have moved from destigmatization via normalization to now glorification, where the meaning of mental illness doesn't exist. It's not an illness anymore like in terms of the scientific meaning of the term, but rather it's a thing to have. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm just wondering, in your opinion yourself, why do you think it's happening? Like, why do you think people are doing it? I genuinely think that making knowledge accessible to everybody, the problem of glamorization has come in. When I was growing up, if you needed to learn something, you needed to actually go to a library and first find out the section, as in you need to find whether you're question belongs to psychology or sociology 
or to astronomy or to what? So that clarification first has to happen. Then you go towards that section and go through the books and that will take you months to actually even get to somewhere where you'll get the actual answer. I think that month is now turned into microseconds. You just type in and you get. And when you do that, within this context that we're talking about, it is dangerous because you did not have the time to think. You did not have the time to question what you're reading. You just got it. When it's printed on something, on a screen or a piece of paper, it carries more weight to it. And you think it's true. And I think that that's a major problem. Oh, I get what you mean. I kind of agree with you. You know, it's really the whole thing of like self-diagnosing, isn't it? Like, you know, because... Mm -hmm. You can't really do that. You know, you're not trained in the profession to be able to do so, you know, but as you say, with the click of a finger and Google, like you can pretty much do it so easily. Because I know I've seen like YouTubers and stuff like that saying they have mental health issues, but they also say when they're saying that, oh, I'm, I'm self-diagnosed with DID or <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, you become an influencer. You become a role model. Obviously, they should have done what they have done, and it's their right to do what they want to do. And I'm sure it is it come from good places, but that encourages others to find, and this is going to be bad. Some people might completely disagree with this, but some some people take it as a quick route to fame. You talk about mental health and you become famous. You talk about mental health in a way that you have suffered and you become expert by experience. Expert by experience is not a bad thing on its own. But expert by experience, wanting to be famous and then promoting mental health in the social world is problematic from my perspective because it dilutes the persons who are listening, their idea of what mental health is, and it also adds to a discourse of glamorization. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think as well, you know, there's some influencers that would kind of be like, oh, here's like a look into like my anxiety or my bipolar or whatever and they do a video on it or something and you know they've got a really impressionable young audience and sometimes they're acting out or they're doing certain behaviors that are mean to other people so it's kind of you know there's also an issue with educating your audience that like oh if you have a mental issue like it's fine be mean to people or you know things like that as well yes it allows people to behave badly and they think because the influencer has said so it must be okay to do so it also allows you to mimic what they have and forgetting about your own unique position when we have mental illness or disorder these clusters that we are drawing from that is easily available on the internet they are only providing you with an indication but these are only indication they don't define who you are <laughs> We have uniqueness and we are unique in our way. Now, the problem is when these influencers drawing from easily available structures like this and saying, well, that's what a depressed person does or that's what a DID person does or schizophrenic person does. Another person who might be wondering with a query and have not got a diagnosis or have got a diagnosis are thinking, I'm not like that. And so you, you are beginning to change yourself based on what you're seeing. And what you do in that way is you actually become the label. And the label never existed anyway. <laughs> These are terms that we have put in in a book to understand what's going on. They don't exist on its own like coronavirus does. You don't catch 
DID. You don't catch depression. We call it as a term to understand what are the kind of symptoms you are producing. But when you put that on the internet and you show that this is what it does, the problem is you're setting a barrier up and you're saying, you, here's the mark. If you don't fit that, you don't have it. And you become somebody else. Yeah, do you find that perhaps when it comes to uh, young people and the way they would be very impressionable and then they see this on the internet and I mean I see this sometimes where people in their Instagram bio put in I have depression or anxiety as if it's kind of like a personality trait uh, that they want to portray to everybody else. Yes, yeah, it, it is something that you want to show like a like a thing show you it, have. Yeah, yeah, show it off kind of. But like, wh why do you think that's become so normal to show off that you have a mental illness? I think you draw sympathy to begin with. You also draw some kind of idea that I'm a bit deep more than my friends, especially young people. Even though they are deep, they might need this name to make it okay to be deep. I don't think we allow people to be who they are in our society. We have boxes. Anytime we see people go beyond the boxes, we have our own anxiety watching it. And so when we have ready-made boxes like this of disorders, I think they are used by young person naturally to protect themselves at times, but also to draw sympathy in other times, especially if you have narcissistic traits and you want to be somebody who's the center of attention, you're possibly going to look out for boxes like this that's going to legitimize your bad behavior. Brilliant. And how, how do you think we can kind of stop people from glamorizing mental health issues? Like what are sort of the steps to stop this problem? I, I, I genuinely don't think you can stop them because we're always going to do what we want to do anyway. But I think it's important that we start thinking about, are we talking about distress or are we talking about disorder? If we're talking about distress, we're talking about a spectrum and we go from left to right. And in that we can be a well person, but we could also be a psychotic person. If we have gone that far, we need to get diagnosed. And by then you have been diagnosed because you don't become or you don't have psychosis unless somebody has picked up on it because it would cause severe trouble to yourself and others around you. So I think that's important that we see whether we are calling about distress or disorder. And then I think we also need to think whether we're talking about impact of it at all. So like for APA, basically the American Psychiatric Association, they show the difference between mental health and illness. And I think that's important that we start thinking about it. Mental health for APA is functioning in daily activities. So we're talking about productive activities like work, school, caregiving, healthy relationships. And we're talking about ability to adapt to changes and coping with adversity. Now, if you're doing that, you are possibly okay. You possibly do not have a disorder. Now, if there are, on the other hand, significant changes in your thinking, emotion, and our behavior, and your distress or you have a severe functioning problem, such as your social work and family activities, you can't continue these things. That's possibly an indication that it has become a disorder or the distress is higher on the spectrum. And so unless the severities come in, unless the impact is felt uh, in your thinking, behaving, and your ability to conduct day-to-day -day bits, I don't think it's fair to be saying that I have anxiety, I have OCD or I am, you know, anorexic or something along those lines. It's a case of really, I suppose, distinguishing as well, because, you know, we all have mental health, but we don't all have a mental illness. And as we said before as well, making a distinction between I'm anxious and I actually am diagnosed with anxiety, you know, and 
yeah it's just education as well really isn't it about these issues absolutely yes yeah there's definitely nothing cute about mental health or trendy I mean it's a personal battle there's highs there's lows there's embarrassing moments you know there's moments where you get you know you are mean to other people and you feel awful about it you know so there really isn't anything cute about it we definitely need to stop glamorizing it and see it as a real issue, but also don't make it like this really strange, abnormal thing either. I think like you said there, Rona, that it's not about glamorizing, but also it's not overstigmatizing. That finding the balance is really hard. And I think as we have grown as humankind and we're going to Mars and God knows what, throwing a Tesla car in the space, I think our ability to hold knowledge in our head has expanded, but ability to be responsible about knowledge, I think is reducing and we're more and more focusing on our rights, rights to say this and rights to do this, but not always our rights are responsible choices. So I think finding that balance between, you know, stigmatization and glamorization, finding that balance between being actually an influencer and also responsibly disseminating knowledge, it's very hard. And that's something we have to consciously do. I think we have to learn and consciously make an effort of being able to manage on which side of the spectrum are we going to lean more? Is it glamorization or stigmatization? Is it information dissemination for no reason or for my own reason? That's brilliant. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode of Different Perspectives. Be sure to follow our social media accounts as well. They'll be listed below. Thanks. Bye.